It's a debate that's been brewing for years, ADHD or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and if it's real. Some say it's grossly overdiagnosed, a label slapped onto any child or adult who has a bit more energy or focus issues. But what if I told you the real issue may not be overdiagnosis, but underdiagnosis? And not just that, but a bit of medical racism and sexism too. This is part two of a series on ADHD being real, so stick around because we're going to tackle this head on as I keep coming across haters saying this over and over. And who am I to walk you through this? I'm Dr. Salman Aziz Mirza. I am a triple board certified psychiatrist with specializations in adult psychiatry, child and adolescent psychiatry, and addiction medicine, and busting mental health myths and misinformation is what I do. <laughs> Is ADHD just a way of medicalizing normal behavior? That's a question that has sparked heated debates and one of the most common ones that I get. Critics argue that by diagnosing ADHD, we're turning a child's natural energy or an adult's occasional restlessness into a medical issue. But let's take a moment and flip the script. What if these normal behaviors aren't so normal after all? Consider this. ADHD isn't about an energetic kid who can't sit still during story time or an adult who can't concentrate during a drawn out meeting. These are normal instances everyone experiences. In contrast, ADHD represents persistent patterns of hyperactivity, impulsivity, or inattention that exceed the typical range for a person's age and development. It's not the occasional daydream or restlessness, but chronic symptoms that disrupt school, work, relationships, and self-esteem. So as we peel back the layers, it becomes clear that when we diagnose ADHD, we're not trying to medicalize normal behavior. The symptoms of ADHD aren't just cute quirks or personality traits when they cause real distress and impairment. In the end, the medicalizing normal behavior argument may need a reality check. Are we diagnosing ADHD too often simply because there's no definitive biological test for it? It's a fair question that needs some answering. Now imagine for a moment that you've been suffering from an unseen ailment, something that's affecting your life dramatically, but it's invisible to the naked eye. There's no blood test, no scan to identify it. Does this mean your suffering is any less valid? That's the reality for many psychological disorders, not just ADHD. It is true that there isn't a specific biological test for ADHD. The diagnosis is based on observed behaviors and subjective reports. However, does that make it less valid? Consider conditions like depression and anxiety. They're also primarily diagnosed based on symptoms, not biological markers, and are recognized as legitimate conditions globally. Does the lack of a biological marker make them any less real? Of course not. This diagnosis of ADHD involves a comprehensive evaluation by a trained and experienced clinician. This process should include a detailed interview about the person's history and analysis of their behavior across multiple settings, and often involves input from parents, teachers, or other adults who interact with the individual regularly. Also, standardized rating scales and checklists should be used to assess symptoms, ruling out other conditions that may present similar symptoms. So while we don't yet have an objective test for ADHD, the robust multifaceted diagnostic process allows for accurate and reliable diagnoses. Part one of the series, I did talk about some of the differences in the brains of people with ADHD, so make sure to check that one out. Is ADHD overdiagnosed because the symptoms are just too varied? Is it possible that the diagnosis is so broad that almost anyone could be labeled with ADHD? I've heard these concerns before, I understand where they're coming from. ADHD is a complex disorder, and its presentation can indeed be quite variable. Some people with ADHD may be hyperactive and impulsive, while others may be inattentive and daydreamy. Some might even exhibit all of these traits. It's this vast array of symptoms that can make the diagnosis of ADHD seem overly inclusive, or to the untrained eye, even arbitrary. 
But here's where things get interesting. The very thing that makes AGT seem overdiagnosed, its varied presentation, is also what makes a careful, comprehensive diagnostic process so crucial. While it might be easy to take a short online quiz and wonder if you or someone else you might have ADHD, it's a condition that requires a deeper understanding and evaluation. You wouldn't trust a fashion magazine or a TikTok post for a medical diagnosis, would you? It's the same thing with ADHD. And let's talk about numbers for a moment. The fact is, despite the wide range of symptoms, only about 5% of children and 2.5% of adults worldwide actually receive an ADHD diagnosis. These figures align with what scientific studies tell us about its prevalence. Is ADHD always a childhood diagnosis, or could it be lurking beneath the surface well into adulthood? It's a crucial question and the answer might surprise you. ADHD isn't just a childhood condition. In fact, many adults struggle with ADHD without even realizing it. Picture an adult who constantly struggles with time management, can't seem to organize tasks effectively, has a history of problematic relationships, or even frequent tra traffic violations. These might sound like individual character flaws or mere personal shortcomings. What if I told you that these could be signs of undiagnosed ADHD? Surprised? You're not alone. The truth is, adult ADHD symptoms can often fly under the radar because they might look different than the typical hyperactive child that usually comes to mind when we think of ADHD. And here's the kicker. It's not that ADHD suddenly develops in adulthood. Often these individuals have lived with these struggles for their entire lives, but their symptoms were missed or misdiagnosed as other mental health issues, things like depression or anxiety. Or as some of our patients have told me, the diagnosis may have been made in their childhood, but the ADHD was either left untreated or dismissed altogether. So while we may think of ADHD as a condition affecting mostly energetic children, it's crucial to recognize that it can also be hidden in plain sight among adults, camouflaged by misunderstood symptoms and misconceptions. Now when we talk about girls and women, they're often overlooked because they frequently present with inattentive symptoms, rather than the hyperactive or impulsive symptoms. Instead of causing disruptions in class, they might be daydreaming, get easily confused, or struggle with following directions. Because they aren't the troublemakers, their struggles can often go unnoticed, leading to a delay in diagnosis or missing the diagnosis altogether. I discussed women in ADHD previously, so make sure to check that one out via the card above. Ever wonder if ADHD shows up equally across all racial and ethnic backgrounds? Here's a little food for thought. There's a concerning trend in ADHD diagnosis, particularly among Black and Latinx communities. Despite ADHD being a condition that affects individuals from all walks of life, it seems that these groups are often overlooked. Why is that? Cultural and language barriers certainly play a part, but it goes deeper than that. Systemic racial disparities in healthcare also has a significant role to play. For non-white children, ADHD symptoms are often misunderstood and labeled as mere behavioral issues rather than seen for what they truly are, manifestations of a neurodevelopmental disorder. What's the fallout of this misconception? Instead of receiving the psychological evaluations and support that they need, these children are more often subjected to disciplinary actions in schools. In essence, they're punished for symptoms that they can't control, instead of being guided towards a diagnosis that could offer them some relief. It's also essential to talk about implicit bias. Implicit bias refers to the attitudes or stereotypes that unconsciously affect our understanding, actions, and decisions. Even in healthcare, implicit biases can lead to differential treatment of individuals based on their race or ethnicity. For instance, there's a commonly held stereotype that ADHD is a white person's disorder, which can influence the recognition and diagnosis of the disorder in non-white children and adults. Moreover, the lack of diverse representation in clinical research and the limited culturally sensitive diagnostic tools can contribute to these disparities. 
Many of the standard ADHD assessment tools have been normed primarily on white populations, which might not fully capture the nuances of symptom presentation in non-white individuals. And let's not forget about access to healthcare services. Socioeconomic factors can play a huge role in the ability to access diagnostic services, which can further contribute to the underdiagnosis of ADHD in non-white individuals, as well as the lack of representation of individuals who do the diagnosing. And what about Asians? In many Asian cultures, there's a strong stigma associated with mental health disorders, including ADHD. There's often a tendency to dismiss ADHD symptoms as merely a lack of discipline or willpower. There might also be a belief that conditions like ADHD simply don't exist or are Western inventions. Moreover, the model minority myth, the stereotype that Asians are high achieving and disciplined, can also contribute to the underdiagnosis of ADHD in this population. Due to this stereotype, symptoms of ADHD in Asian children and adults may be overlooked by teachers, healthcare providers, and even parents, who might attribute their struggles to character flaws or laziness rather than recognize them as potential signs of a neurodevelopmental disorder. I can speak to this issue personally. Despite my extensive training and experience in psychiatry, I didn't receive my own ADHD diagnosis until I was an adult. Looking back, the symptoms were always there, but like many others, I fell through the cracks of a system that didn't fully understand or recognize my condition, as well as parents who could not potentially wrap their heads around this as a possibility for their firstborn son, even though my mom is a family physician. How often have you heard of children, especially those in high socioeconomic status communities, being quickly labeled with ADHD? This is probably where this myth truly started. While it's great that parents and educators in these areas have the resources and are proactive in seeking help for children, showing signs of struggle, there's a flip side to this coin. With this eagerness, there can be a tendency to swiftly assign the ADHD label, especially if evaluations aren't as comprehensive as they should be. Like I mentioned in the first video of this series, there's been a surge in online diagnosis services and websites. And unfortunately, not all of these are created equal. While ADHD is a real and significant condition, it's crucial to remember that if we rush the diagnostic process or don't meet the necessary criteria, we may overlook other possible explanations for a child's behavior. This could be learning disorders, anxiety, or even environmental factors like lack of sleep, poor nutrition, or stressful home situations. In the end, getting the right diagnosis is what truly matters. So yes, overdiagnosis or rather misdiagnosis can occur. But in an ideal world, it's not the norm and it shouldn't detract from the fact that ADHD is a legitimate and often debilitating condition for those who truly have it. All right, everybody, that's enough for today, right? We delved into the so-called overdiagnosis of ADHD myth and discovered that the truth is much more complex. It's clear that understanding ADHD isn't as simple as black or white. It's full of a spectrum of grays. Now, we're just scratching the surface here. We've got so much more to unpack about ADHD, so I hope you're geared up for our next video where we'll be busting another common myth that ADHD is manufactured by Big Pharma. Should be a good one, so make sure that you're subscribed to be able to check that one out as soon as it comes out. If you found this video helpful or if it gave you some food for thought, hit that like button, share it with your friends, family, or anyone who might benefit from this conversation. And let's keep the conversation going. What part of today's discussion resonated with you? Were there any surprises? Or maybe you've had personal experiences with overdiagnosis or underdiagnosis of ADHD. Whatever your thoughts are, drop them in the comments below. I'm excited to hear from you. Until next time, take care, be safe, be healthy, and we'll see you next time.